Today on The Novelizers, Oscar-winning actor J.K. Simmons, comedian Fred McCauley, plus Mike Zarnecki and intern Kevin Carter. Now, here's your host, Andy Richter. Three hundred tons. Believe it or not, that's how much plastic humanity produces every single year. And that's even after you started using the canvas tote bag from NPR. Listen, if we're going to save this miraculous little blue ball we call home, each one of us is going to have to do their part. I'm talking about recycling. Recycling is the single biggest thing you can do to help the next generation. I'm Andy Richter, and recycling is what this podcast is all about. Each season, I take perfectly good movies that society has wastefully discarded. Films like Three Men and a Baby, Ghost, and Dirty Dancing, and then I upcycle them. Upcycling is like recycling, but way better. Jesus, please don't tell me you're still only recycling. Ugh. I know what you're thinking. Books need paper. Paper needs trees. Well, relax, Mr. Lorax. Nobody's destroying trees. Instead, I'm having great actors narrate those books into a podcast. A podcast you can enjoy on your annually replaced iPhone, in the car on your daily two-hour commute to Burbank, or just while killing time on your 14-hour flight to Portugal, comfortable in the knowledge that you, my friend, just saved the planet. We are the Novelizers. This season on The Novelizers, we're upcycling the classic film Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, universally lauded as the greatest motion picture ever created. (laughs) Just kidding. It was only okay. But this novelized version is real good, I promise. But before we dive in, here's my intern Kevin. Kevin, pretend for a second I haven't actually listened to the past seven episodes of my own podcast and tell me what I've missed so far. Sure, Andy. Kirk and the gang are fighting Khan, who's a bad guy who Kirk stranded on a planet a long time ago, but he got out and is after revenge. And also a top secret project called Genesis. Uh, The Enterprise, battered but still working, is running the hide in a nebula, and Khan, who just restored power to his own ship, is hot on a tail. Huh, crazy. Our next chapter was novelized by Mike Wilson and narrated by Oscar-winning actor J.K. Simmons. J.K., take it away. Chapter 15, Spock's Geometric Blunder. Novelized by Mike Wilson. Narrated by J.K. Simmons. The starship's reliant and enterprise slither through empty space like it isn't even there. Aboard the enterprise, Spock gazes vacantly at the space map. Estimating nebula penetration in 2.2 minutes, he declares a gruesome blue glow shining outward from his face, illuminating the control panel. Reliant is closing. The Enterprise lurches forward along a glistening trail of purple ions, each nacelle ingesting the space in front of it and blasting it out the back through its ass. Scary thunder and frightening lightning permeate the space outside the ship. Inside, the atmosphere gets heavy in the Jeffries tubes, a network of large maintenance conduits that span the ship, as the entire crew ducks in there to do huge bong rips and calm the fuck down. As the crew of the Enterprise cope with their situation, the Reliant is in pursuit. If they go in there, we'll lose them, Joaquin mules. Explain it to them, 
Sparks Khan, as the Reliant gently secretes a photon torpedo in the direction of the Enterprise. The crew of the Enterprise grip their own faces to keep their balance as they shriek uncontrollably for good luck. In ten forward, the ship's bar, a red-shirted ensign accidentally bites his own hand, flinches, and falls on his ass. The busboy simultaneously shrieks and bites the ensign's other hand. That was close, Savik declares to the bridge crew, as the photon torpedo misses the Enterprise by like an inch. Taking a brief but appalling moment to consider the situation, William Shatner guesses that they just don't want us going in there. Spock gazes vacantly at the space map. One minute to nebula perimeter, he declares, committing an egregious geometric blunder by invoking the two-dimensional concept of perimeter to describe a boundary in three-dimensional space. Why are we slowing? implores Khan from the captain's chair of the Reliant. We daren't follow them into the nebula, sir. Our shields will be useless, Joachim replies, as if now is the right time to slow down because something is useless, as if there hadn't been like a half-dozen useless superhumans standing around the bridge doing nothing the entire time. Meanwhile, and elsewhere, Spock gazes vacantly at the Enterprise's speedometer for the Reliant. They are reducing speed. William Shatner sweats and wants to talk. Uhura, patch me in. Aye, sir. Uhura confirms. You're on, Admiral. On the bridge of the Reliant, William Shatner's voice emerges from the William Shatner intercom with incredible authority. An authority that would make the immense intercom proficiency of Oscar from Charlie's Angels look weak. This is Admiral Kirk. We tried it once your way, Khan. Are you game for a rematch? Khan. William Shatner continues, I'm laughing at the superior intellect. Khan issues a direct order. Full impulse power. Joachim responds insolently, No, sir, you have Genesis. You can have whatever you... Full power, damn you! Khan shrieks and fucking floors it on the impulse motors. The Reliant lurches forward toward the nebula. The nacelles aren't just nibbling space, they're fucking chugging it and blasting it out the backside, super bad. From the view screen inside the Enterprise, the Reliant looks like the south end of a northbound racehorse from every angle. I'll say this for him, he's consistent, Shatner mules. Spock gazes vacantly at the space map. We are now entering the Mutara Nebula. Aboard the Enterprise, no one can see shit on the screen anymore. All the fucking lights go out at the same time. Dr. David Marcus grips a railing and begins to twitch. In the Jeffreys tubes, Casper the Friendly Ghost races from junction to junction in a mad panic, while Chilly Willie builds an igloo and desperately cocoons. People eat meat for breakfast, and hard cheeses get depressed as they go unnoticed at the back of the fridge for, like, weeks. Emergency lights, William Shatner orders. The Enterprise looks like shit and keeps moving forward into the erupting nebula. The Reliant looks cool and gets jolted by nebula particles as it continues its pursuit. Tactical, Khan intones. Inoperative, Joachim responds. Raise the shields, Khan intones. 
As I feared, sir, not functional, I'm reducing speed. Khan and Joachim exchange mutual side eyes, then front eyes, then chill the fuck out. The Reliant and the Enterprise prance around the Matara Nebula like a pair of mesmerized Broncos in the middle of a fucking F5 tornado. Subspace lightning and purple circular thunder start off real bad and get a lot worse. Centuries before, the early titans of spacefaring would pay $475,000 to have dinner in orbit, return to Earth, and be disappointed to have to shit it out in a regular toilet. If anyone had told them space would turn out like this, they might never have left the bathroom in the first place. On the bridge of the Enterprise, the view screen is obscured by so much static that no amount of dryer sheets could even begin to chisel it all off. Everyone stares at it anyway. Target, sir. Nobody even asked Mr. Sulu to shoot anything. All anyone knows is nobody can see a fucking thing in any direction. Phaser lock inoperative, sir. Best guess, Mr. Sulu. Fire when ready. Immediately ready, Mr. Sulu blasts the living shit out of the Reliant with some lasers. Aft torpedoes! Khan cries out from the bridge of the Reliant. Fire! The torpedo misses the Enterprise by an incredible margin. It almost misses outer space. Hold your course, mumbles William Shatner, oblivious to the fact that the course is a collision course. Evasive starboard. The Reliant messes up parts of the Enterprise with some laser flames. Fire! William Shatner orders in retaliation. On the Reliant, every console on the bridge simultaneously explodes. In the aftermath, Khan rages so hard that it's not enough to simply remove a piece of wreckage pinning his henchman to the ground. He fucking throws that thing. Now that's entertainment. But before we entertain you with another chapter, here to cleanse your palate is my intern Kevin with another behind-the-scenes interview. Kevin, roll tape. Or whatever you do to make the interview play. Hello, I'm uh, Andy's intern, Kevin Carter, and I'm your host for the interview portion of The Novelizers. Today I'm here with Gary Winweller, who is the special effects person for Wrath of Khan 2. Gary, how's it going today? Uh, it's going well, Kevin. How are you doing today? I could be better. I'm broke, but you know, I'm here now. Um, so when I, when I think of, uh, what I want to be when I grow up, you know, we think of a lot of different things, um, that we want to be, you know, what made you say, I want to be a practical effects person as a child? You know, again, as a child, I think it was about the some of the just interest, you know, I saw that stuff and I was like, wow, you know, when you're six years old and you, you see stuff like that, eight years old and you're like, holy crap, they're really doing that. And then you, you know, you get older and you find out they're not really doing it. But, you know, by the time I was in college and I was, you know, I was thinking back on those sci-fi movies and I was like, I really, I think we really can do this, you know, and I, you know, I'd have my colleagues in, in school be like, oh, that's crazy. You're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to hurt people or you might disassemble someone and it's not going to work. And what do you do then? And there's all these ethical concerns, but I'm like, you know, I think we've just got to drive it forward. When did you get the call to say, we want you for Star Trek to Wrath of Khan? You know, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I was in a cafe 
uh, and you know, I was, uh, I was there cause I was working there. There was a couple of fellas there and they were, you know, they were talking about, uh, Star Trek and, you know, the movies and how, you know, they were getting ready to do the second movie and it, it was just really interesting. And then I, it turned, it turned out it was, uh, it was the, uh, uh, producer, you know, I just got thinking, I was like, you know what, Gary, this is your time. This is your time. So I, I, I took the, I took my apron off and I walked up to my boss and I said, you can ball this apron and shove it in your ass. Uh, cause I don't need your, your job anymore. And yeah, that, uh, that seems a little extreme, but, uh, but I understand. Yeah. You know, but you, you know, when the passion hits you and you know, it's your moment, you know, you go for it. So I went up to the table and I said, Hey, uh, you know, I'm Gary Enweller and, uh, I've been working on some, you know, real life particle effects and a major in lasers. And I, you know, I, I hear you're doing the star Trek movie. I've been listening to you talk. I've been giving you pancakes and you told me your coffee was terrible and called me an idiot, but I'm not. And, you know, I think I can really bring something to this. And, uh, they dismissed me. Uh, they, 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 you know, they thought I was, I was high on drugs or something. I don't know what the deal was, but. Were you high on drugs? Well, yeah, I mean, I was high on okay. drugs, but okay. I didn't okay. know that they, they must've also thought that I was too. I, gotcha. mean, I don't know what, you know, I, you know what people's perceptions are. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote my number down and I gave it to him and I said, you call me. If you want to see what my technology can do, I can, you know, I can whip this up. I've got stuff at the university that I've done. And, uh, you know, they both laughed at me. Uh, they asked me for a refill and I said, I don't work here anymore. And I think they were both really impressed by that. You know, I left and I waited for them to leave and I went back in and I asked my boss if I could have my job back because I realized I still, I still need to make some money to eat. Right. Uh So I got the job back. Uh, then, you know, I was, I was, I was there and then they came in again about a week later and I took my apron off and I went up to my boss and said, I mean it this time, you know, go fuck yourself. I'm not doing this job anymore. This place sucks. And I pushed over a, a small rack of cups and said, I'm out of here. And I, I left. And a few days later, uh, you know, the, uh, the secretary called me and said, you know, Robert wants to, Robert wants to see what you can do. Uh, he saw you uh, in the cafe again. Um, and you know, he, he thinks you might have some kind of substance problem that's going to have to get dealt with before you start, but he does want to see what you're doing. You know, when you come here, please wear a shirt. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And, did, uh, did, so, did you not normally wear shirts? Well, I mean, I had taken it off when I quit. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? I ripped it off. Like I tried to do it like the incredible Hulk, but I gotcha. wasn't really strong enough. So I just kind of took it off and, and threw it. It was their shirt. I wasn't gotcha. really allowed to keep it. They'd have charged me $4 for it and I couldn't really afford that. So then I, I spent, you know, I spent about the next eight or nine months really getting stuff ready and then, mm-hmm. you know, showed up and, and we, we, we really got, we really got to work. Is there anything specific that that the list that the listeners had saw in the movie that you can say that was me? I did that. So there, there's a scene in there. It's actually one of the few scenes where you actually see the the characters be beamed up. There's a lot of beaming down, uh, which unfortunately uh, my you know my beaming downs were were actually all cut uh, for for various reasons, mostly that the. Uh, the actors unfortunately did not come through in the forms they had been uh, beamed up as, but the the beaming up scenes, 
there was one of them where uh, four of the characters were were beamed up, and there's sort of a funny story about that uh, because uh, William Shatner actually uh, was reassembled uh, in a remote part of the Philippines. Mm. Um, and we didn't know really what happened and we didn't hear from him for probably, oh, I don't know, four months. Uh, so we had to film a lot of the scenes. Yeah. That he wasn't in. And finally we got a call and he said, I, I appeared in an outdoor market without my uniform. I don't know where that is. And I was arrested and, uh, it's just kind of a fun adventure for him. I think it sounded like, and we finally got him back and he wouldn't, uh, go near any of my. Uh, effects after that which was unfortunate but how many people did you did you lose in 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 the in the making of this film i would say of people who did not continue their acting careers after my effects uh i i think maybe 12 tops i feel like with the with the transporter uh you know with the reassembly you know did did we have anyone who was you know killed no of course not but you know did we have a couple people who were reassembled is what you and i would probably call a siamese twin or a conjoined twin yes did we lose a couple of people which who you know may have been transported to other parts of the earth also yes yeah yeah, so so when you when you say the words, you know, um, we didn't kill anybody, right? But you also say we lost them and we can't find them, uh-huh. and we haven't seen them in over thirty years, right? Is it is it safe to assume they're dead, or do you, or do you or do you like to keep your keep your hopes up? You say no, they're still alive out there somewhere. I think it's actually safe to assume that they were transported somewhere where they were happy. You know, I mean, if if I, you know, beamed one of the extras to, you know, a beautiful part of Switzerland, I mean, why is why are they going to come back? You know, they're going to look and they're going to say, you know, these hills are beautiful and Mm -hmm. this place has excellent health care. And I don't I'm not going to go back to anything. I'm going to build a life here. And I I honestly think that's probably based on uh, what happened to to Will. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would I would assume that is more than likely what happened. So um, I like to ask my, the people I interview about, you know, saying life on set, you know, with the actors and the actresses and things like that. Um, how was it when, when you introduce like new technology to the actors, were they, were they receptive to it? Were they kind of, you know, nervous, afraid? How, how was that interaction? Well, you know, I, I think there's a, a healthy amount of skepticism anytime you're you're showing somebody something new at first when we were using it you know we were getting some of the quirks worked out and stuff i think it freaked some people out uh, i think it freaked out the producer i think it freaked out the director i think it freaked out all the people who were funding it uh the studio the production company marketing uh, i think it you know it freaked out a lot of the uh stagehands carpenters cameraman uh the the boom mic operators and lighting so how how did that make you feel knowing that uh it, w- it was mixed i mean i was very proud of the technology you know i think i did a really good job with it and i i you know i wasn't offended i was like i understand new things can be scary and sometimes you know when somebody comes back and you know their their arm is you know now 
physically attached to their leg. It can be a little weird and we try to back it up and sometimes it fixes it. Sometimes it doesn't, but I feel like as an actor, you know, you need to be able to take risks. You see these actors all the time, you know, doing things with their body weight and your plastic surgery. And, you know, I mean, how's that really different? You know, how's that really do? There's risk in everything. You know, and after a while, I, I think the studio just kind of got tired of their attitudes and, you know, kind of kind of blamed me for it. So the, the listeners want to know life after the movie. How are things for you now? Now that the movie's over with, I mean, huge success. How, how are things now for you, Gary? It, it, things were tough for, for quite a while. Uh, you know, you know, Hollywood is, you know, you, you, you get yourself in a pickle one time, you become somebody's scapegoat just because, you know, people are missing and, you know, there was, you know, there's a lot of litigation from what happened on the set and, you know, next thing you know, nobody's calling you, nobody wants to call you back. And I had to, I had to start doing some, some, some smaller films, some independent films, some, uh, some other types of films. Uh, that, you know, uh, were, were a lot less challenging, uh, you know, just keep kind of food on the table. I had to, uh, ended up going back to that cafe and, uh, you know, trying to get that job back, but, you know, apparently, you know, that ship had sailed, you know, so I started teaching, uh, you know, opened my own school for a little while of, you know, Gary's practical effects, uh, and it, it went okay you know, operated for about a year and a half, pumped about 300 students through it. Uh, and then we were shut down by the LA County Sheriff's department, uh, the health department, uh, the, uh, occupational, uh, health and safety organization. A couple of environmental groups were protesting. Jesus. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a mess. I'm telling you, like once, you know, once you're blacklisted in Hollywood, you know, forget about it. You know, the next thing yeah. you know, like you can't, you know, you're mixing certain chemicals. You're like, this is fine. And it's getting, you know, they're like, oh, it's getting into the you know local water and stuff. And it's just, you know, it's a fiasco after that. And so, oh, but you know what, Gary, I want to thank you for this interview, for well, this thank look you. inside your life and everything like that. Um, it was really, it was really good. It was really nice and refreshing to hear. And we're sorry for your, your, your troubles um, mentally emotionally and legally we are sorry for sure. all your your troubles that you've had i want to thank everybody for listening to this portion of the novelizers uh i'm kevin carter this was gary winweller and please enjoy the rest of the podcast thanks buddy our next chapter was novelized by the big bang theories john ross bowie and narrated by comedian fred mcgauley enjoy okay this is chapter 16 scotty loses consciousness and I'm Fred McCauley. I'm going to be reading this, and it was written by John Ross Bowie. As the smoke clears, I stagger away for the damage. Oh, everything fucking hurts. My back, of course, as always, but my knees are starting to kill me as well. I was going to have to ask the computer for a new patella and bones, maybe. Could you get me some new painkillers? Because I've developed a tolerance to the old ones, and they'd make me constipated. I haven't had a poo in three fucking days. Three days, if you can believe that. I and these new uniforms, they're shite. Perfectly climate-controlled spacecraft. We've got an internal gravity system. Each room has a thermostat. Bloody Federation has us dressed up like wee toddlers in Antarctica. Jesus. Damage, Mr. Scott, says the wee cunt with enough hair. Because apparently it would fucking kill him to ask how I'm doing. 
Admiral, which, by the way, you can fuck off. I was with you at the academy. You cheated your way through the Kobayashi Maru, you Rajvi shite. Captain, I've got to take the mains off the line. Fucking hell. I'm dizzy. I feel bones shove his arms under mine, which is fucking hilarious. I'm like a tree trunk next to that spindly wee wanker, but I let him carry me off. I can barely exhale. It's the radiation! Before he lays me down on the floor, which is spinning like mad, and the sweat is pissing off me. And that daft cunt Kirk leaves the channel open, first in his class at Starfleet Academy, so I can hear him in the Vulcan and the whole bridge, and guess what? They're all sounding terribly concerned about me and my health. Kidding! They keep their heads firmly up their arses, and apparently a barely conscious chief engineer with radiation sickness is just not a fucking priority. Well, fuck the lot of them! I can just make out Chekhov's wee little Soviet voice offer to help, like the do-gooder roaster Dougie always is to James T. Cunt puts him in the weapons. Spock offers some horseshite about sporadic energy readings, port side aft, could be an impulse turn. Oh, do you think, laddie, that the Reliant might just be doing shite impulsively after we blew them halfway to hell? Where would we be without your wisdom, you soft prick? It goes quiet for a spell, or I do. Fucking hell. I'm knackered. Either way, next thing I know, Spock is talking shite again, all about how Khan's intelligent but not experienced and thinks two-dimensionally, which is him sticking his tongue right up the Admiral's arse. Kirk beats him one time at 3D chess and the only way to get him to pay attention is to feed his wee frail ego. But lo and behold, it works. Bolt, Spock, you mangled wee fud. Kirk summons his serious voice and announces, Z minus 10,000 metres, ready torpedoes. And I think, Jesus, Khan must be a complete fucking wankstein of Kirk's master strategies to just go south and go boom. But the fuck do I know? I just make the ship move forward through space and time and you dunny have to listen to me. I feel the ship drop, but I'm already woozy, so... <laughs> spew a big, chunky, loud bulk and they can totally hear it in the bridge, but they can't. They dunny care, so don't mind me. I'll just be hearing my own nuclear sick. Admiral Chode himself yells, Fire! three times and I can hear them connect the way torpedoes do when they sneak up behind you thanks to sun fickin' Sue down there in the big chair that spins round. Kirk tells Uhuru to tell the Reliant to surrender and prepare to be boarded. We've barely have the fucking power to flush a toilet, but oh aye, sure, let's transport a landing crew. Brilliant laddie. What's above Admiral? Chief Egypt? Can whisper something. He's not going without a fight, so maybe a fourth torpedo might have been in order. Philosopher King Fanny, I can hear Can say, To the last, I will grapple with thee, which is what Ahab says to Moby Dick. Ah, you can fuck off, I went to university. And all I can think is, Jesus, to be a whale, the Admiral would have to drop about ten stone. I even whisper, lol, which is a phrase my great-granny used to say, but Jesus, I'm losing consciousness fast, just as well. Get to fuck the lot of you. Fabulous stuff. And I'm sorry to say the best part of your day is now over. See you next time. Kevin, land this spaceship. Will do, Andy. Thanks to this week's guest contributors. Mike Wilson, J.K. Simmons, John Ross Bowie, Fred McCauley, plus Mike Zarnacki. Link to their fabulous book, swag, and cameo accounts can all be found in the show description. The Novelizers was created by Stephen Levinson, produced by Stephen, Chris Karwalski, and Rob Kuttner, and edited, mixed, and mastered by Chris Karwalski. 
Music by Cole Emoff, Andrew Lynn, Mike Wilson, and Chris Messick. Special thanks to Sarah Mabe, Crystal Dennis, Dennis DeClaudio, and Hannah Levinson. Follow The Novelizers on Instagram and Twitter at The Novelizers or visit thenovelizers.com. The Novelizers is a work of parody unauthorized by Paramount, Roddenberry Entertainment, or Star Trek. I'm Andy's intern, Kevin Carter. See you next time.